Good morning. I want to talk a little bit today about how we want people to know us, how people recognize us. Um, I guess we can start with how we define ourselves um, as a person, how we define ourselves as a local body, how we define ourselves as, you know, the church as a whole. Um, sometimes when I look in the mirror, uh, I, I don't know if you guys do this, but I look in the mirror and I see myself and I start to, you know, I'll make excuses. Well, you know, at the end of the day, my hair's a little grayer. There's a little less of it. Um, yeah, I'm probably a little heavier than I was when I was in high school. Uh, probably a lot heavier than I was when I was in high school. And, and, I, and I look at myself in the mirror and I can kind of reason a lot of it away. And then, you know, the thing that really kind of makes you look at it and say, wow, really have I changed that much? is when you start taking a look at it at a picture, a photograph that somebody's taken of you, and you see yourself in a photograph and you say, wow, is that really me? Is that the way that people see me? And, and that's really you know, an eye-opener for a lot of us is when we get to see a picture of ourselves. But we really need to uh, you know, almost start to think how people see us. How do we see ourselves? So how do others recognize us? How do they describe us? How do they see us personally? Uh, not only as ourselves, but as the church. And then what sets us apart from the world? Is there enough about us that makes us different from everything else people see that people can say, okay, there's something different about them. They're a little odd. They're a little, uh, they're a little different than what you know, I normally expect to, you know, to see in the world. Um, the Lord says in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And that's really what I want to talk about today, is what kind of sets us apart from the world. What makes us look different? How do people recognize us? So there's really two things in that, in that one small passage that we need to talk about. Uh, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. There are two points in that verse that we need to understand. Number one, what is love? And number two, who is Jesus referring to when he says one another? Uh, love throughout the New Testament is primarily referred to by a couple of Greek words. Um, there's some other words in, in the Greek that get used for love, but the two big ones are agape, and that means goodwill, benevolence, and charity, and phileo, which is defined as brotherly love and friendship. So the first thing I want to look at is agape. Uh, Agape is primarily how the world will know that we're different, and ultimately they'll know us as Christians, because we're supposed to have charity towards all people, not just each other. And the King James, the King James Bible actually refers to charity nine times in 1 Corinthians 13. Unfortunately, the word charity has been replaced with love in many of the newer versions, and it often gets watered down a little bit, gets used a lot at weddings for sermons and things of that nature. You go through you know, 1 Corinthians 13, and you start to, you know, not understand what, you know, was really being talked about there. It wasn't the love, you know, the, the ooey-gooey, oh, I, you know, I love my spouse. It talks about charity. Now, you know, I guess you could apply that to your spouse. I wouldn't advise it. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, what it's really talking about there is charity. So let's go really quick to 1 Corinthians 13. And it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could not so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and as though and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profit me nothing. Charity suffer long and is kind, Char- charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, it is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinking no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am also known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. So we typically hear that as love, but really think of it as charity. Charity is pretty much the epitome of what is perfection in a Christian's life. Charity means that, you know, not only do we think about what we want people to see, but we think about that person that sees us first. Uh, today, people often think his charity is no, nothing more than just giving to some worthy cause. And, and charity is about giving. I mean, you have to be willing to you know, lose something in the equation. You have to be able to give something of yourself. You have to be able to pass on something that has some value to it um, to call it charity. But it's just not about money. Even It says right there in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it still profits me nothing. So it's just not about the act of giving something materially. It's about understanding where we need to stand for the loss of the world. Um, charity is the ability to hang tough. It's the ability to fill in the gap. And it's the ability to understand that where we need to be as Christians in a dying world. Um, It's important to note that Paul believes the practice of charity is a more perfect way than all the other offices and ministry gifts. If you read prior to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he talks about the fivefold ministry. He talks about ministry gifts. And while those things are important, and I don't want to take any importance off of them, he basically leaves us with the impression that none of them work, none of them get the job done if the charity if the love for others isn't there. Um, Not that other ministries are unimportant. Uh, You know, the world's not going to care if you're a great apostle. The world's not going to care if you're a great prophet if they don't understand that you love them. Um, How many times have, and I hate to say this, but how many times have you been a part of a church or been a part of a church group And, you know, there's people there that you get to know, but you never really know, you really never understand if there's a love between you and them. Now, take that out of the church and put it out into the world. How can we expect to show Jesus to people if they don't understand that we love them first? All right? We're not going to win them because we're righteous, and we're not going to win them because we you know, dress a certain way or act as a certain way. I mean, all that stuff might get their attention, 
But really what's going to win them is the love of Christ, is the love that Jesus shows through us towards them. Uh, if you can't look at someone and personally hurt for their life without God, then you missed what it is to be saved. Turn to Luke 10. Verses 25-37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto them, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down into Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked upon him and passed by on the other side. And a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And in the morrow when he departed, he took two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him, and fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said unto him, Go, and do likewise. The Samaritan was what, I mean, he wasn't a Levite, he wasn't a Jew, um, you know, he wasn't quote-unquote, uh, if you wanted to take it in a, you know, more of a comparative nature, he wasn't the, the churchgoer, I mean, he wasn't the, he wasn't the person that people would typically look at and say, okay, you know, this is, this is a Christian, this is what I think of when I'm in the world as a Christian. What he was, was somebody that came and said, you know what, I'm going to do what's right by this guy because it's right, because I feel for him, because I hurt for him, because I understand that what happened to him is awful, because I want to see him live, I don't want to see him die. And, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be able to take a look at people in our community, in our world, and say, you know what, instead of that person going to hell never knowing God, I'm willing to stand in the gap for him. If it costs me something, it costs me something. If it costs me everything, well, then maybe that too. But it's very difficult sometimes to show people we're a Christian, to win people to Christ, to let people know that, you know what, there's a God that loves them unless we're willing to love them first. And, and the most important thing about that is we have to be willing to love before that person is lovable. I mean, if you think about it, when, when God found you, how lovable were you? I know I wasn't very lovable. Uh, sometimes Melissa would probably say, I'm still not all that lovable. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I, you have to be willing to say, you know what, this person isn't maybe like me, doesn't look like me, doesn't act like me, doesn't live like me, doesn't talk like me. But God still sees that person and loves them just as much as, as he loves me. And I need to stick myself out there for that person. I need to put myself out there for that person. Show them God's love. 
And, and it's going to make a difference if you do that. Charity is the ability to love someone even if you don't want to be around them. Um, agape love means taking insults or injury and forgiving and wanting the best for that person. Um, so we need to look on others the same way and love them before they deserve our charity. Go to Luke 6, just a couple chapters back, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 36. But I say unto you, which here, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. And unto them that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid him not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. As you would have that men should do to you, do also unto them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love them, also love those which love them. And if you do good to them that do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them which hope to receive, and what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners and to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. But ye therefore be merciful as your Father also is merciful. All right, I know that God showed me a great amount of mercy in my life. More mercy than I could ever expect to earn. But he didn't give it to me because I earned it. He gave it to me because he's God and he's good. Not because I had anything in me that merited his time, his effort. Uh, you know, even to take account of me just makes me wonder sometimes, you know, what I ever did for him to take a look at me and say, you know what, there's something there that I can redeem. And that's the same way that we need to look at people. Um, there used to be a ministry out in New York, and it used to take a lot of, uh, you know, in, in the individual that founded the ministry, his name was David Wilkinson, and, and he, uh, he actually was out of the ministry by the time I got to walk by, you know, the places that he ministered in New York City, the places where he had his, you know, his walk-in missionaries and things of that nature. And I remember, you know, um, one time people would, you know, I'd heard that basically people would go in and they'd say, boy, you go in there, there's nothing but drug dealers, there's nothing but prostitutes, there's nothing but this, there's nothing but that. And, and at first, you know, you thought, well, geez, I've been following this guy's ministry for a long time, or I've been supporting this guy's ministry for a long time. And, and I always thought that, you know, he had it right. Well, I think he did. Um, the simple fact of the matter is, is that he realized the people that he was going after, the people that he needed to, you know, to be showing God's love to, the people that he needed to be telling Jesus about, were the prostitutes, were the drug users, were the criminals, were the people that the very people that were filling the you know that were filling the pews, and sometimes I, I think in today's church we always expect you know we want the you know the nice young couple to come in with you know two and a half kids and you know basically sit in the, the middle of the church and be dressed nice and talk nice and act nice and all this other stuff. The simple fact of the matter is is if everyone was like that they don't need you to begin with. You know, Jesus needs us to be his ambassador. He needs us to 
to basically show his love to people that need his love. You know, the people that are lost, the people that are dying, the people that, you know, th that are really broken and hurt. And at the end of the day, the only way that that works is if you're willing to put yourself out there a little bit. Now, we're going to go ahead and shift gears just a little bit. So that's, that's how, you know, we want the world to recognize us as Christians. That's how we want the world to know that we're Christians, because we show love for people, that we show charity, that we treat people decently, that we talk to people, you know, about Jesus, about how Jesus loves them, and not necessarily to sit in judgment over them. But let's talk about also how we treat each other within the body of Christ. Because sometimes that's a bigger example to the outside world than just about anything else that happens. Um, so that type of love, typically when in the New Testament, whether it's Paul, uh, you know, Jesus even speaks of it to his disciples from time to time, that word actually gets translated differently than agape. It gets translated phileo. Phileo is typically used in the Bible to instruct Christians on how to treat other Christians. If you turn to Romans 12, and we'll read from verse 10. It says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another. Now, we could all use some instruction on how to do this, because to be honest, the world sees all too often Christians judging and gossiping about each other, not necessarily loving each other. Um, they see churches splitting not over doctrinal issues, but over offenses. Um, it amazes me on how often uh, you know, we'll walk out on God's purpose just over an offense. An offense is a very, very dangerous thing. I mean, when we get our feelings hurt, just even the littlest bit, the first thing we do uh, as fleshly creatures is we retract. Well, if they don't like me or they don't think that I have anything good to say or if they don't want to listen to me, then I don't need to be there. And I'll just kind of pull back a little bit. Um, offenses are one of those things that I've watched, you know, in the 50 years that I've walked this earth, break churches up quicker than anything. Um, you get your feelings hurt or, or one group says something to another group or you know, basically a sharp word goes unchecked. And next thing you know, I, I mean, just that little offense can start a fire. And then churches split over that. And guess who sees that? The world. I mean, how many times have people basically said, well, I don't go to church because, you know what, you know, it's no better than, where I, it's no better than what I deal with every day at work. Or it's no better than what I deal with with my family. Or it's no better than what I deal with, you know, with, with my friends that are unsaved. And sometimes the person making those comments is right. I mean, how quick are we willing to forgive? How quick are we willing to basically take a look at a situation and prefer our brother over us, even if it hurts us a little bit in the flesh? How quickly are we able to basically say, you know what, I don't know that I necessarily agree with you, but I'm going to love you anyway, because it's not mine to correct you. I mean, there might be times when Jesus comes to you or, or, or you get something in your spirit, you know, go to your brother and say something because there's something that I want him to hear. But you better be sure that that's God saying that to you because nine times out of ten, it's something that you have a problem with and you want to go and correct that person or you want to go bring judgment on that person. And to be absolutely honest, God doesn't really need our help a lot of times correcting people. Some, we think he does. 
I mean, we think that, you know, I'm just going to be God's man and, and run in there and, and correct this situation. You know what? If you see somebody struggling a little bit, maybe God wants them to struggle a little bit. You know, if you see somebody, you know, struggling with a, with a message or struggling with something that's going on with their life, that doesn't mean you can't support them. That doesn't mean you can't tell, still tell them that you love them. But you don't need to solve that problem for them. I mean, the way that people grow is to walk through those type of situations, you know, in a relationship with their God and make those corrections to some degree to themselves. Um, one of my favorite things uh, that Paul ever said, and, and Paul typically can be a hard guy to understand sometimes, at least for me. Um, he's a little wordy. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, he stops being wordy and just says something so plain and so easy to understand that it's like an epiphany. Um, go to First Thess- Thessalonians uh, ver- chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands and we command, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. All right, that sounds really deep. What he's saying is be, be quiet and mind your own business. I mean, truly what Paul says in verse 11 there is be quiet and mind your own business. Better advice was never given on how to live with others. So many times that we think we want to go in and correct a situation for somebody, and really what we need to do is be quiet so we can hear God in case there is something that he does want to tell us about that situation, and mind our own business. Mind our own business doesn't mean you don't still love your brother, that you still won't go shoulder to shoulder with him, that you still won't you know, help him when asked, but sometimes I feel like as a body of Christ, as a church, we offer more than what we need to. And a lot of times what we offer is not godly or is not given by God to begin with. Um, you know, stop trying to be a fixer. Understand that God has, you know, the world in his hand, understands everything, knows how to fix it, and just be a support for your brethren. Um, there might become a time when God's going to call you to, to bring a word to your brother, but even then has to be gentle and in love. I mean, if you come in with a, with a hammer, the first thing you're going to do is offend someone. And to be absolutely honest, it is so easy for the enemy to grab an offense and turn it into a church-splitting mess that you know, we should look for ways to sidestep those type of situations. I mean, you're better off going to someone and say, you know, look, I understand that you're struggling with this issue, and I understand that it's hard for you. I would just want you to know that I love you, and then if there's something that I can do to help, let me know. And that's going to mean more to your brother than you coming in and trying to correct him. I mean, nine times out of ten, he's going to know, or she's going to know, you know, the problem that they're having. If they're a Christian, they, they know a little bit about the Word, and they know what the Word says about that problem. And they're going to go ahead and, and struggle with it a little bit. How long are you going to be able to stand with them while they struggle is kind of what the question is. Not, are you going to be able to fix it in 30 seconds for them? Uh, Phileo love is always the enemy of pride because pride says you are more important than others. Phileo love says I'm going to put you first, which means that I have to put down my own flesh. 
Let's go to John chapter 15. Verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that, you lay down, that he lays down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, because I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things that I command you, that you love one another. So love obligates us to do what's right for others, even if it costs us. In Jesus' case, it costs him his life. I mean, he did what was right for me and everyone else that sits in this room that calls himself Christian. He put his life down on the line so I could live. And as long as, you know, as long as I live, you know, I'm always going to have a gracious feeling towards God for that. I mean, he gave up his only begotten son so that I could live. Jesus hung on a cross and died in an extremely painful way to sacrifice his life so I didn't have to. And that's the same thing that he asks us to do for our brethren. So the next time, you know, we see a brother struggle, go up, put your arm around him or her. Basically say, you know what, I'm here for you, I love you. You know, you mean the world to me. If there's anything that I can do to help, I'm here to help. But don't judge. Because at the end of the day, you can look at the situation and you can judge the situation and see what's going on and see the, see the pain and the hurt it might be causing. But what really, pulls, what really pulled you into salvation with the Lord? Was it because he judged you or was it because he loved you? What pulled me into you know, my relationship with the Lord was because he loved me. Not because I was perfect or not because I was 100% there yet, but because he saw me, and even in all my imperfection, he still loved me. Um, you know, it, it's a hard situation sometimes to basically look at a situation and say, you know what, I know that situation is hurting that person. I know that they're not doing what's right in God's eyes. But it's even, it, it's even harder sometimes to stand back, be there for that person, pray for that person, you know, ask God to intervene in that situation, but then wait for God to basically, you know, either make an avenue for you to help in, in a different way or to, you know, basically let God do what he's going to do in that situation. I mean, sometimes there's an old saying, people don't look up until they're flat on their back. And, and, and sometimes, you know, that has to happen in a situation before someone does say, you know what, I, I need the help. Um, you know, and sometimes I don't think we're patient enough to wait for God to really work a, you know, work a solution in somebody's life. We want to fix it for him. When I talk about today what it means to be a Christian and how other people see you, I would really, really encourage you to think about that the next time that you are upset with somebody or the next time that, you know, you struggle with a relationship. Um, you know, how do people see us from inside the church? How do people see us outside the church? Because it's, it's the love that we show. It's God's love that we show to all these people, regardless of whether they deserve it or not, that makes the difference. And the funny thing is, is that 
once you start to mature a little bit in God, you realize it really doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what people see when they look at you. What matters is, do they see Jesus? Does it make it, I mean, does the relationship that you have with him reflect enough off of you that they see Jesus? Because last I checked, none of us can save anybody. But Jesus can save them all. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I was taking stock this morning. As Mike was talking, it reminded me, we've been working with the youth group a little bit over the last several weeks, and we'll do so even more so coming up, preparing for the trip to North Dakota. And one of the things, as we were down there, that pastor challenged them with was to begin to really live when the Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. To make a commitment to each other that I'm going to speak words of life into you. And if I see you speaking words of death, I'm going to draw your attention to that and hold you accountable. If I, I need to be able to trust you as a brother, as a sister, and it's sobering at times what comes out or what almost comes out. And you go, oh, Lord, I didn't mean that. I need to fix it. But just as much, he, he reminded me of that, but he said it's almost as deafening words of death if you refuse to engage when God's asking you to. The silence or if you're freezing someone out on purpose because you have a little bit of a problem going on and you're trying to, you know, make them realize that they did something to you. Lord, may it not be so. May I not have to look back and feel like you asked me to do more and I did not. Unless you feel differently, I really think we're supposed to just ruminate on this a little bit. If anybody does need some prayer over anything, feel free to come up when we're done here. But otherwise, Father, I will be watching closely because I do know that the things that come out of my mouth show what's happening inside my heart. And the kindness and generosity and charity that I show to others comes out of what's going on in my heart. Remind me, if not just words of death, but thoughts that are damaging come to mind towards anyone, even towards myself. And teach me how to turn those into life. Because just as in everything that God does, I can't outgive him. I can't give more kindness than I can get back. I can try. I can't give more charity than I can get back, no matter how hard I try. I can't be more generous than he is. Bring it to my attention, Father, over the next weeks. And help me build new habits about how I see others.
Father, thank you for every person here today. Thank you for bringing Damon and Jackie safely to us. And we pray for traveling mercies over their trip home. For traveling mercies for Glenn and Chelsea as they return home from their time with the church in Sedalia. And continued healing throughout the church body. Go with us throughout the week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.